I didn't realize that making a podcast was going to make you so sweaty. And welcome, everybody, to episode 32 of Digesting Cinema with Aaron and Christina. I'm your host, Aaron, and as always, we're not subverting expectation due to this week. My fellow host is Christina. How are you this week? I am so excited that I get to share this magical moment with you. Like, I felt so honored to be watching an A24 movie on purpose, just in your honor, really. Yeah. In case you are the uneducated out there somehow you don't know that i am obsessed with a24 films that is me to a t a24 is one of my favorite studios out there they seem to really select films and filmmakers that i have a response to i have seen every a24 movie so this was totally your call and a little bit of help from billy yeah so you have only yourself to blame this week but i've been waiting for you to see an a24 movie for quite a while We are discussing Uncut Gems, the 2019 film by the Safdie brothers, Benny and Josh Safdie. And I love most A24 movies. You know, if you know me well enough, you probably can figure that I'm going to fall on the positive side with this one, too, for many reasons that we'll get into. But before we do, did you really have any sort of expectations with this movie? Had you heard anything about Uncut Gems going in? I heard it was really good. I heard that there's a lot of despicable characters in here, and I heard that people thought he was for an Oscar nom. I think I would agree with all those things. It's always tough to go into a movie, in my opinion, where you're like expecting an Oscar worthy performance, especially from someone like Adam Sandler, who's not expected to deliver those types of performances as much. But we'll definitely get into that as we talk about Howard. How about you go ahead and uh, tee us up with our IMDb uh, plot synopsis, and we'll give that our first rating of the day. I've been rating these hard lately. It says, with his debts mounting and angry collectors closing in, a fast-talking New York City jeweler risks everything in hope of staying afloat and alive. Two out of five. I mean, it does kind of overlay... what this movie is about on a very, very lame and basic terms, but it makes Howard a little bit too much of like appearing like he's doing this for something other than the next bet. Like I want them to be a little more clear that we have happily ever after stories with, you know, fairy tales. I would describe this movie as a happily never after. He was always bound to not be happy. And it just, from the very get-go, the good ending for this movie was going to be a shitty ending for any normal human being. Like, I got, at least I was under that impression, especially once we get to the end here. But do you like that term? I just came up with it just now. Yeah, it was just, this movie was, it was a lot. I will also say in the synopsis, they didn't even mention that he was Jewish. So, like, how rude. Yeah, yeah, it's very key. This is one of the most Jewish movies you're ever going to see. Always tell people that. This was clearly written from the source. I will say that much. So I will say when this movie first started and Adam Sandler was talking, I was like, oh, God, this is just going to be like Adam Sandler, like pretending he can act, just sounding like a weird Adam Sandler. And I was like, this is going to just annoy this shit out of me. And then as the movie went on, I like totally forgot that it was even Adam Sandler. Like I totally was into the character of Howard and like the Billy Madison's, the little Nicky's, the water boys, like that wasn't in my head anymore. Like I was literally like, oh, this is just Billy Madison, like trying to act tough. Like when the movie first started. 
Was there a particular scene or moment that you kind of remember buying into Howard or did it just kind of happen gradually? No, it just happened gradually over time that I was like, okay. But when the movie first started, I was like, oh, it literally just felt like this is Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore just like trying to act like they're tough, like in Mm -hmm. New York. And then like eventually I really bought into the character that I was like, wow, he's doing like, you forget I'm watching Adam Sandler. This is not like anything he's ever done. Yeah, I completely agree. And I remember seeing this movie when it came out. I saw it in theaters as I've seen the last, I don't know, 10 to 15 A24 films. Also, when this comes out, Green Knight just came out this past weekend. So with Dev Patel, Dev Patel and A24 signed me up twice and i think that's going to be a huge hit for them too and a24 definitely has become more in the mainstream public lexicon over the last couple years and i think this movie was a big turning point for a lot of people well can we sidebar real quick is there an a24 movie that you don't like oh there's plenty of them that i don't like okay so you're not like a shill it's not like a24 you automatically like it no but if i kind of like it i'll probably like it a little more knowing it comes from them for example i just saw zola it is actually the movie about a waitress from Detroit who goes down with a friend that she had just met to Florida to strip for the weekend and it's based on a Twitter thread and a Reddit post and that which is like the most 2020 thing you can ever imagine it was an absolutely wild time the thing I would guess why like A24 particularly it feels the most to me like they allow for their filmmakers to tell their stories the way they want the endings are not predictable and those are two of the most important things for me is that a filmmaker is able to make the movie they want not the movie they're supposed to make necessarily and that i don't know who's going to make it or who's not going to make it it's not necessarily a life or death thing but i just don't know who's going to be successful who's going who i'm going to be rooting for where the twists and turns will be it just to me is a more enriching experience and it all did start back in i believe it was 2016 when the lobster came out maybe 2015 i had just gone through the worst breakup of my life and my mom asked me to go to a movie the next day my mom has seen like three to four movies in theaters in the last 10 to 15 years like she doesn't go to movies doesn't even watch movies for the most part so for her to ask this was completely for me i was like sure and we got to the movie theater long story short went to the lobster which you haven't seen yet but i would like you to see at some point and the lobster is all about how it's a world where it's illegal to be single And you have to go to this hotel and you have 45 days to meet someone or you turn into the animal of your choice. So it's just like weird, black (laughs) comedy, like bizarre. And it's just like, I saw this movie. And first of all, I was like a sad little 24 year old boy. And I was just like, this movie is speaking to me. I feel like, you know how when you get out of a relationship, you feel like it's illegal to be single. You feel like everybody knows you're single and no one gives a, it's like no one looked at me. They probably figured I was single by looking at me, but they weren't (laughs) like thinking about it. But I was just like this was the movie i needed at that time as you know movies impact my life unlike you so try to imagine uh, I don't my, have mom, feelings, so. my mom hated the movie to this day when i bring up the lobster she like frowns she had the worst time ever with this movie i mean it's a rough watch it's very dark but they seem to have good taste and just one after another in different ways it's not the same kind of movie so very long little diatribe there but you started it so I know you, you regret it already. <laughs> but part of my reason for asking is I know how much you love it. So I didn't know like where that came from. And it's kind of like, I get why you would like this movie. And I think that you had the point originally that, you know, Adam Sandler's performance was really notable for a lot of people. And I think that's what like a lot of people got at least introduced to A24, probably more likely than other movies. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't this like obscure movie about like some cult in Sweden where an 
abusive relationship took place and then they went and took mushrooms. This is like a little more accessible. It's about sports gambling, which has gotten huge over the last few years, even bigger than when this movie came out. It had celebrities in it though, left and right. I mean, Mike Francesca is like a very notable New Yorker, Kevin Garnett, The Weeknd. There's just tons of eye-catching kind of Lakeith Stanfield, who's gone on to become a huge star as well, Oscar nominated. You know, it's just, I think that this movie opened it up to a lot more people. I think it's just a more accessible story, even though it's so overwhelming and stressful. Yeah. So let's just talk like the overarching story of this is so anxiety inducing. Like if you're somebody that struggles with anxiety, I don't think you're going to like this movie Mm -hmm. because I was anxious for most of it. It's just like a very stressful situation. There's a lot of yelling. Please watch this with subtitles because it's a lot of everybody yelling, which like just triggers me also because like coming from a big Italian family, like that's just how everyone communicates. And it's just Mm -hmm. like so overwhelming sometimes to be around that mm-hmm. and it's just like there's parts where i was like things do not need to be like this like every nobody needs to be acting like this like everyone needs to just calm down and it's just like everyone was so over the top everybody was outrageous no one was actually intelligent so like that <laughs> bothers me like so much just like i don't even care if this sounds weird stupid people bother me like i, I just mean, have, not, I have no stupid people with resources though it's not just dumb people these are dumb people with like unlimited resources to go you know, and bid $200,000 on a rock. I don't know if I would call Howard unlimited resources. He has excuses to get the resources. He's always owing another person to owe another person. The schemes don't work. The auction scene particularly was one of my favorites of the whole movie, just getting his friend to help him with the auction. And like Kevin Garnett starts to figure out what's going on. And there's the homage to North by Northwest there with the auction scene, because I just watched North by Northwest. So I just kind of love how the Safdie brothers clearly took inspiration from great filmmakers and made it their own. It's homages in the right kind of way. Like that auction scene was like one of those examples. But no, Howard very much did not have resources, but Howard refused. Don't stop believing. That was Howard's favorite Journey song, clearly. He never really gave up when he really should. But I would also like to say that, like, the thugs in this movie and the guy they work for are also super stupid. Because they had, like, ample opportunity to get their money back because they were having him followed. Right. And, like... They stop him from gambling. We'll get to the ending of the movie. But it's like you guys had several opportunities to get paid because you know he's betting that you could have just intercepted his winnings and you're not doing that. So I'm just like, these people are so dumb. They want more. It's just like frustrating. There's always a bigger score. There's always more to be had. And that's just like everybody's cursed in a different way. Everybody wants more. Like it's just this consumer culture of the Diamond District of New York. And then I also like because like I believe that Phil, who is the kind of rough voiced guy who obviously has a big role towards the end of the movie, but he's present kind of throughout it. He's like the main thug, the blonde haired thug. He wasn't even an actor, I believe. I believe he was just somebody who I'll check here, but I'm pretty sure he was just somebody who is a part of that world. And that's what I also kind of liked about the casting here is they took real people and just worked their qualities into this while also having actors like Adam Sandler who can manipulate who they are and morph into the characters also do so. So I just, the casting right away, I think stuck out as a huge positive for me just overall. Yeah, so the guy that played Phil has literally three acting credits and the two of them are from short films from 2020 and 2021. So Uncut Gems is, is his first acting credit. I think there's uh, several other cast members. Julia Fox, who plays one of Howard's main girlfriends, who, first of all... Oh, my God. She was so annoying. But, I mean, she had 
very good gifts to offer to the screen. Oh my God. She wasn't even that hot. Honestly, you could have found a hotter girl, but like. She played her role perfect. She was she supposed did. to be annoyed. She was so perfect for that role as like the side chick who the do nothing, just like idiot. Oh my God, homie. I just love you. I love you. I love you. Like, can we just talk about something? Women that look like that do not bang dudes that look like Howard unless he has legitimate cash money. Unless you're, I guess she must be that stupid. Mm-hmm. To think that this bro did have money. Yeah. Because this guy had no money. Mm-hmm. And how are you stepping? Your wife is in Dina Menzel. Your wife looks like that. Right. Men are trash. Actually, let me say this like in your men are trash. Okay. You guys do not treat women like this when your wife looks like that, especially. Get the fuck yeah. out of here. You can't be ugly. You cannot be ugly and stupid and think that you can have Adina Menzel and some other broad. Get out of here. Yeah. Howard is not a good guy. We Throughout the movie, we get that re-solidified. We're introduced to him during a colonoscopy, which I just yeah, thought. so weird. Well, I didn't even know why that was. The, the psychedelic colonoscopy to start out this movie that's when i was sold on this movie in the theaters i was just like okay we're starting with a psychedelic colonoscopy let's go and the soundtrack right away stood out to me uh what did you think of the music the score I mean, they, they had stranger by billy joel so i was in right but what about the score overall like the synth- you know i i rarely care about the score Okay, so it didn't bother you, though? No, it did not bother me. Good. As long as it didn't, because I do feel like for some people that score could be a little bit distracting. For me, I actually found it to add to the anxiety of the movie overall. And another thing I always just find funny as a Jew, there you go, there's your first of many, is how Goyams experience this movie. And they just always describe it as like unbelievably anxiety-inducing and like people don't have to be this way. And I can understand why people are anxious by it i was not i was just like this is my people like this is just my people and there was a particular line that i have had this conversation with my friends on multiple occasions before where we were talking about basketball and it was one of my friends who was african-american they're like what is it with jews in basketball because jews we are obsessed with basketball particularly the nba and we have no ability to play the game of basketball but it is just an obsession we have in this connection that the jewish culture has with the african-american culture that has just been there since i was five years old this is how i connected and it was just like i've had this conversation where it's just like what is it and that's when i just knew this movie was very authentically written and i know that may seem kind of like a weird moment but in all seriousness it just is like they weren't just writing what you're supposed to say or they were writing what how these people really would be speaking to each other it was authentic i mean and i don't know how the diamond district works and how they speak by i have had that specific type of conversation before so it kind of allowed me to expand it to the rest of the world and just look at it as as just a more over enthused version of the real world honestly yeah i didn't know jews were obsessed with basketball is it true that the the first nba points ever scored were from a jewish man is that factual i don't know but i assume it is i guess i can look it up i was gonna say that seems like something you would have had in your back pocket I I, i should now but uh you know I'm going to look it up, but yeah, I think that with this movie, it is just that tone and that energy is able to be be upheld throughout the movie and not ever feel as a distractor, but more of an enhancer to the overall story for me. And I just think that is exceptionally done throughout this movie. All right. So our boy Howard is a despicable human being. He's kind of gross to look at. He cheats on his wife. He's a con man. He's a gambler. He 
treats his employees like crap. He's involved with a lot of bad people. I mean, he just has like very little redeeming qualities. And he like plays the victim like nothing ever goes right. Nothing ever goes my way. And it's just like because you get yourselves in these situations that you should never be in. Case in point, we open up the movie and... You know, his boy, who I guess sells, what, fake watches out of yep. his shop, the, the mm-hmm. Sanfield's character, Damani, you know, he brings people in, he gets a cut of whatever they buy. So it's pretty clear that, like, the stuff in his shop, like, probably isn't legitimate either. So mm-hmm. it's just, like, this whole scheme. So he brings in Kevin Garnett, who plays for the Celtics. And it's like, Howard is so dumb. Adam Sandler's character is so stupid that it's like you have this like monumental uncut gem that supposedly is worth all of this that you claim to do all this research on. And then you decide, even though you have plans for it to go to auction, you decide you want to show essentially a complete stranger for like what street cred because you're just so excited. Because like like right away, Kevin wants to buy it. And he's like, right. I'll buy it. And he's like, no, no, it's for auction, though. He's like, I'll literally buy it. Right. I'll give you the money you're going to get at the auction right now. You can have a guaranteed thing. And this is just the curse of Howard. It's not just about the money. It's about the thrill. It's about winning. It's just like, it's the thrill of it's the thrill of losing it all that these degenerate gamblers get off on. I'm in this world of sports gambling now. I do an MMA podcast every week where I give betting advice. And I'm very familiar with how these people work. And it's always on to the next one. And it's never like, oh, you have enough. Shouldn't you stop? It's like, it's always more. And it becomes not about the spoils. It becomes about the thrill of it all. It becomes about the thrill of losing it all. And the thing is, you can only have that thrill of losing it all until you lose it all. And then it's like, well, I've lost it all. Let me dig myself further in that Howard throughout this movie. It's just like he loses, he finds another way to find money to be able to, uh, you know, and just over and over again, just right. He's constantly just, yeah. And he's just trading money. He's borrowing here, betting in here, borrowing in here, spending there. And he's just constantly, it's essentially like laundering money within himself. Mm -hmm. So eventually KG is like, just let me borrow it. Like, just let me borrow it. Like, we'll give it back to you tomorrow. What are you talking about, bro? It's like the unintelligence is like so wild here. And it's just like, honestly, they probably should have shown more drug use in this movie because it would have made a lot more sense as to why people acted the way they did. But Mm -hmm. in exchange, he gives his Celtics ring that Howard like immediately goes and pawns. Right. That he has like some ongoing deal with this pawn shop that just keeps racking up, racking up like typically like like a pawn shop would just be like have this guy on like this constant tab and nobody everybody knows you're not gonna make any money so i don't even know why they keep doing it with him that he then goes to his bookie and bets and it's just like oh my god this was like in a all in a day's work yeah and everybody around him knows he's crazy and is like stop but they're still letting him do it because they're all just like well it's a bigger payday for me so in a way everybody is a mirror of howard also they're all trying to also keep scoring it's like when do you stop with like an addict and be like yo like you're cut off now and then when you cut him off and he can't pay then what you're stuck right. with, like, I'm going to have to kill him. Bring in Phil and uh, what? I don't know if his friend had a name or not. Uh, Nico. <laughs> Nico. They, I don't really think Nico I don't got actually him. think they addressed him as no, anything. Phil like, was, okay. Phil was yeah. yeah, it was like Penn and Teller. Yeah. And like, yeah, Nico's big lines were like, let me out. <laughs> yeah, when they were stuck in the fucking doors, which was just yeah. like, oh, my God. That door stressed me out more than anything throughout the fucking entire movie. I'm yeah. like, how in the world is your, like, super secure door this shitty? That freaked me. I was just like, as a joke. That whole scene bothered me. And then, oh, but, no, like, the door threw out, though. The yeah. door threw out was not working, like, over and over again. And, it, you know, when you see it a couple times, it's like, this is so foreshadowed. 
Like they like right. show the door and like weird zooms and they're like always making comments about it. it's like, yeah, we should fix that. And like, it's really shaking. Or I'm just like, this is so stressful because like you're in a really shady part of New York where like you're associating with a lot of shitty people, like your secure door should be secure. And it's like the least secure thing in your whole building, along with the glass on top of your fucking displays, which apparently people can't even lean into at all, like slightly without it smashing. Like, I asked him not to lean. You guys heard me, right? I told him not to lean on it. And for some reason, that's a sign to Kevin Garnett that he needs the Opal. I would take the opposite if that happened. Right. I'd be like, yo, this thing's cursed. Get this out of my hand. Right. Like, I guess I, he thought he was just so powerful from it that he was just going to like. I'm sure Kevin Garnett can break glass without an Opal. Also, like, what did you think of the gem? I thought that was so ugly. <laughs> was that on purpose? I also thought. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, this looks like a turd. Like, yeah, if I ate some glitter, that's what my shit would yeah, like. Yeah, I'm like, why is everybody so, it's like kind of like when everybody's like obsessing over some beautiful woman and you look at her and you're just like, what? I feel that must have been on purpose and intentional because I think it did just add to the absurdity of this is what's causing all this right. mayhem and massacre. <laughs> like, so like, I do think that was on purpose, kind of a clever little direction. And I think a good choice to not have it look like this just awesome, like, oh, I can understand why everybody, make it as unintelligible as possible. So like, it's this like weird turd rock, like that everybody's <laughs> freaking out about stuff. Looks like so, you get it from like a, like a hippie store for like 10 well, bucks. Right. Like, and it, I was wondering if like the twist of this was like that it was really just a piece of shit. <laughs> and, and Really? And it wasn't worth anything. And he was just going to try to con people. No, I think it was legit because who would lie with that thing and say it wasn't? Because it looked awful. It's just like, okay, so they make this trade shocking to no one. Like the deal doesn't go through. And it's just, I do appreciate this. And I don't know if it's a Jewish thing because it's definitely an Italian thing. But like, he doesn't calmly react to mm. anything yeah. so like the smallest inconvenience or like hitch in the plan it's not like it's okay like let me just make a call like let me figure this out everything is like a motherfucking yeah. like the language that comes out and then it's just freaking out and screaming all the time and i was like oh i feel that like that's how i am so like if things don't go my way i just immediately start like freaking out yeah jews and italians externalize their yeah. emotions very much so especially the vocal type so yeah, yeah that's another it's another thing that the Jewish community connects to a lot of them, including the Italian here. All right. So we get to the point where like, we know we're not going to get the gem back. We're not making the exchange. He's freaking out. Damani is like, oh, I don't have it. Like KG still has it in practice. They drive down to Philly. I do appreciate though, as a Philadelphia sports fan, that they were playing the Sixers the whole time. And we don't name one single dude on the Sixers. No. <laughs> like it was the 2012 Eastern Conference semifinals. I believe that was actually the playoff matchup there. So that's like all actual like ESPN footage they're showing during those. Oh, moments. then maybe they did. And I just didn't know anybody. Yeah, I don't think they did. I don't think they did. Um, the only time where I really noticed a Philly player was Spencer Hawes on the tip-off against Kevin Garnett when Howard had bet on the tip-off as part of his parlay and Kevin Garnett won it. So oh, okay. I did like the real that kind of I think it's a good segue into real life references here. The weekend was in this in a very notable scene, and it was like before he had blown up because this is 2012 when this movie. Oh, took so me. that explains why his song was so bad. Yeah, awful, awful song. And I that think was that, terrible. Yeah, that was on purpose i think that was brilliant again he was not the weekend yeah he was just some dude from canada who was like there was like you know in the clubs maybe some talk about but he was still obviously very terrible that song he did where he was just like i don't know calling like 
hose gold or what was yeah you, it I, was it was definitely like a, a nice canadian boy like trying to sound hood yeah and just like, like that's what it was and bombs like every other right. line like it was like this isn't the weekend that we know right. but it was like a beautiful kind of like this is what the weekend was like in 2012 and that's when this movie was taking place then they get to the bathroom where uh he's doing coke with howard's side piece and he's trying to get a little more intimate trying and, a banger just to yeah. just say it that's trying what he wants. To, trying to bang her. And like, again, props to the writers and also the weekend for being willing to be portrayed in this way. He doesn't look good in this scene. And then Howard, like his one of his only moments of somewhat redeeming, but it's only for him. So it's not really redeeming. He's just mad that he's being embarrassed. I right. uh, knocks on the window, gets in a fight with the weekend, gets thrown out of the club. I'm just like, this movie has Adam Sandler as a stressed out jewel dealer fighting the weekend in the middle of a club for doing coke with his girlfriend in the bathroom trying to fuck her like and this it's not grown-ups three <laughs> no, this movie is crazy like it's just like at one point uh rich homie kwan playing in the background like all this just like old rap that you haven't heard in years and it's just like it's like yep this is 2012 sure is yeah because everything's wild everything is just like nothing goes right in this movie nothing at all because he goes to this party because Damani's like well I went to practice they drive down to Philly Damani's a piece of shit Damani's a piece of shit totally ditches him then calls him back later like yo dude I definitely got it like I hooked everything up and then they decided to meet at this party Damani screws him over again so it's like everything that can go wrong is going wrong because Damani's just screwing him over. Then finally, he's like, no, we definitely got it. Oh, no, because this is when Howard just starts, like, harassing people, and then they just eventually show up. And this is where they get trapped in the door. Mm -hmm. And this part to me was so annoying because everyone's just screaming, like, open the door, open the door. And it's like, you're in glass. You can see that he's trying to open it. You see that they're pushing the buzzer. You see that they're trying to do what they need to do to open it. And everybody is still flipping out. And I was Mm -hmm. just like, there's just so much yelling. There's so much yelling. So much yelling. So much yelling and it's just like so stressful and my anxiety just was like these people are legitimately insane like this is not how this would have been handled by like regular humans it's just like oh i'm stuck in this door thing like yeah that sucks but like if i'm literally watching the person try to fix it i'm not going to continually scream to them to like open it up yeah these aren't normal people at all and it there's so much yelling i think that's part of why maybe you didn't even notice the score because the score a lot of times is just like synth music essentially also yelling so i think in a way it also feels like another other characters yelling the whole time as these other characters are yelling it's like just like these very like loud keyboard like but it's done in a really good way by daniel lopatine just wanted to point that out but just yeah the door scene there's so many scenes we could go to and kind of talk about his scenes with his kids are really depressing also when he goes to put his son to bed it's like the classic degenerate he's laying in bed as his kids still up watching his dad just on his phone with his earpiece and watching the first quarter of this game that he's bet like his kids college fund on already like that's his way of spending time with his son one of his sons his other son who's a little bit older clearly has just idolized his dad and is like becoming a degenerate like he's going to become his father essentially he's already doing it with his friends and like talking about how he's gambling on every game and just like it's only 50 or 100 bucks but it just shows how this just progresses he's passing the addiction from his 
father onto his son there. Do you think, though, that his son's going to follow his footsteps? Because when they go back to the apartment, it kind of seemed like his son was like, kind of realized his dad was That's his younger son, though. I mean, I don't feel like the older one quite as much had that. Like, a little bit, but that also might just be like, that's the kind of childlike innocence you have when first learning about this side of your father's lifestyle. But then eventually you become what you kind of hate in a way to kind of cliche it up a little bit. But then the daughter, she's also an actress. I think she might be the oldest and just like, again like has no faith in her father at this point can't stand yeah yeah. i thought she was like a really uh, i wish we could have had a little more of her because i really liked her performance from the small amount that was in there i thought she was really convincing as that just like uninterested teenage jewish daughter who just like this is like you're a piece of shit like the wife of dina manzel as we said like just you know it's like heating up leftovers it's just like and he's like getting ready to go out like that was obviously before the weekend but just wanted to kind of point out like every chance howard gets to kind of redeem himself with his family he fails at when we're watching yeah so after the guys get stuck in the door too is when they finally get out and they like make the exchange back and then they were like oh so where's my celtics ring which he doesn't have Mm -hmm. and he's like oh like i left it in long island and then they agree again and just be like it's fine like tradesies like you'll get it back to me I'm like what the fuck is happening then I think this part was done brilliantly now they're back in the office and they're still screaming at each other Damani's flipping out because he's realizing that like most of his watches were just given away as Howard like receives the call from the doctor yeah. that his colonoscopy is fine and he doesn't have cancer <laughs> and I'm like what what is happening like everyone is freaking out people are just like smashing stuff and he's just like yeah doc like I was really worried like it runs in the family and I'm like, oh my god. I'm like, I literally can't handle it. I thought we were, what is it with Jews and colon cancer? I thought we were the chosen ones. Like, that is like such a Jew statement. I've heard that from my family, I feel like. There's so much chaos and like, it's like even the good news comes in chaotic fashion. Right, because he has, going back to what you were saying, when when he's with his kids, those are the quieter moments of the film. And he has like all of this chaos. And then we get the one scene where the chaos and the quiet kind of overlap when he goes to the school play and he realizes that the thugs are there. And they basically kidnap him from the school, Mm -hmm. strip him naked and lock him in his trunk, to which he calls his wife to be like, yo, can you like unlock the trunk for me? I also appreciate that they're like she wants a divorce like we're just gonna wait till passover like we're gonna wait till <laughs> yeah, passover. Pesach first which that Pesach dinner perfect very very accurate representation of what that is there's always at least half of the table that has no idea how to read hebrew so they always pass it over no pun intended to <laughs> the older people at the table who still know how to read their hebrew from their bar mitzvahs or bat mitzvahs from 50 years ago yet somehow the people like so it's just like oh you read the hebrew i'll read the english like that is a line set at every Passover right day. like it's just like great which like as someone that's not Jewish like it was really cool to watch this part you know yeah. just learning about somebody else's culture the other interesting part of this dinner is we learn that like the guy he owes money and like the thugs <laughs> that are coming after me is his freaking like brother-in-law right it's just to make it a little more complicated Arno is who he owes like so much money to and who's sending these hitmen after him essentially like to like harass him and ruin his life they were all at just like a nice family Pesach yeah like everyone's like dressed nicely and like the whole family's there and like the father-in-law's talking to him and he's just like he doesn't like Arno but he's fine with Howard even though Howard's got an apartment with some whore like it's just so 
Yeah, because after he's the weekend in Julia or doing stuff, he decides he wants to kick her out and then he wants to go stop by the apartment all the way back from Passover. Tells his wife, because obviously she's in the know. Like, she knows all about this because she wants to leave him. Yeah. And, like, he's like, I need to stop by the apartment. And kid's like, well, I got to go to the bathroom. I got I to gotta take a shit. I gotta take <laughs> but he won't let the kid in the apartment. So now no. he's knocking on doors for the neighbors. And I do love how the one guy's like, well, you got to go one or two. One or two. <laughs> he's like one. <laughs> like just lies. And I'm like, I would never in a million years let my kid go anywhere unsupervised in someone's home that I don't know. Probably not the best area either. But I that's would... right. And that's when the kid finds out like, oh, like what girl lives in your apartment? Is it mom? And I think that's when it like he realized like my dad's a piece of shit. Like my dad treats my mom like shit yep. and, and maybe he's a shitty dude so i don't know if he would grow up to be like his dad because i think he realized it sucked yeah and especially with how the movie ends you would hope that tragic circumstance would encourage him not to head down that same route so maybe that's a positive view on some aspects of this but certainly he had imprinted on his son up to that point. oh yeah and like his son was becoming like him in just like middle school or high school just like going and getting his friends to bed and being like oh man it's mostly been like just like doesn't care about waking up his brother like he just has the impulsivity of his father right so maybe it won't be his choice in a way sadly so he still owes money to his his brother-in-law and the thugs they beat him up they throw him in a fountain and he's crying like the you know the little victim blamer that he is (laughs) and then he gets like the good news of like oh yeah the auction's still on like let's do this and it's just like to him him it was like oh like the heavens have opened like i can make this deal and then it turns out that he thought what was worth a million dollars is worth like 250 if you're 150 i think was that was the minimum yeah was what oscar the gemologist from the auction house and then he is furious about this goes there demands they correct the correction at the beginning (laughs) these scenes are so good all of these scenes are amazing and who plays the auction house head she's like we are not correcting the correction we can either pull it or it can be bitted on so howard could maybe pull it and try to again get kevin garnett to buy it when he knows kevin garnett wants to buy it what does he do no let's gamble baby let me get my friend who does not want to do this to try to drive up the auction price because he knows kevin garnett wants it and this is like you know the best auction scene i've seen since north by northwest that just happens after this where the unwilling dude just keeps like raising it you can see the nerves building 160 it's getting a little bit each time 170 you can see howard seeing kevin garnett talking with his advisor his advisor's like we stopped at 160 that's what we said and he's like oh i got it and like they're getting more hesitant gets up to 190 raises his paddle again and then there's the longest wait as kevin garnett decides no i'm not gonna take it i'm good he starts to figure it out whether he was cued or whether he just kind of caught on to it I think his advisor was like, we're not going past 175. I think it was basically just like, you don't have any more money. Yeah. Like, okay. I think it was truly just a dollar amount of like, yeah, I, just I told you 175. Yeah, I wondered because afterwards when they kind of had their confrontation, Kevin Garnett was like, do you think I didn't figure it out? But that could be kind of be talking of after gaining the information, like having that hindsight's 2020 type of thing where he was like, I knew the whole time. Like, yeah, I don't I, think he knew the whole time. I definitely think he was just being numbers. a tough guy. It yeah. was simply numbers and- 
you know, they purposely make us hear the 175 number. So we're supposed to have that information aware. Then of course he doesn't. So now he's in an even deeper hole. He has right. doubled the amount of hole he's in somehow. He now owes this guy 190 plus 20% because that's the deal he made with him. So he would agree to go with this. Everybody who Howard makes a deal with only makes a deal when it benefits them, not Howard. Right. So it's just like, I'm only going to do this if I get my money back plus 20%. And like, so like right away, he's like, I'm going to transfer the money from my account to your account. He's like, plus the 20%. That's $38,000, Howard. Like, it's just like- Right. He's like, yeah, but that's going to take me a couple of weeks. Like, oh, so you have 190, no problem. But 38, I got to wait on. And it's just like, it's just the next episode in the Howard Chronicles. Like he was never not going to be out of this hole until he got a hole put in his head. Spoiler alert. But I kind of put that together, the whole metaphor, deep. After the auction, he's like, this is it. Like, And then finally, it's just like, all right. The auction which Arno's at, all the thugs. Everybody's They all know. They all know. So he's basically like, let me call KG right now. I'll make the deal. Then they finally figure out he's not even calling anybody. There's nobody on the phone. But it's all right. KG winds up showing up at his office to make the deal. Gives him $165,000 in cash because Damani gets the cut. So we already cut him off on that. And the thugs are there. They are in the building. Mm -hmm. So he, I don't know, calls his girlfriend. I thought they were like speaking in code. Which mm-hmm. I, but it does make sense why they didn't go to Atlantic City, why he flew to Vegas. Cause I didn't think I realized that this was 2012. Cause I was like, you can do sports gambling in Atlantic City, but you couldn't do it in 2012. So yeah. basically, instead of now that he has the cash and can dig himself out of the hole, cause I don't think he owed Ar- Arno that much money. Like, I think he had enough to pay him. I think he said it was like 100K or something. Yeah. Exactly. He could have just paid him off. This could have been done. He would have had money. Right. He could have done his thing. But he had an opportunity because now KG got his stone back that it spoke to him and he's. He's like, I know you're going to go off. I know this. I know what Vegas doesn't know, that this stone is going to make you have the game of your life and decides to like run upstairs, pass over the window to this girlfriend to be like, this is the bet I need you to make. I'm flying you to Vegas right now. So he also has contacts because he like privately flew her there. Yeah, he does have resources. He just uses them terribly. Yeah. So instead of giving it to them, he decides that he's going to do a three bet parlay and then locks them in the little cage thing, which honestly was a little brilliant. Yeah, until it wasn't. Well, obviously, but it just goes to show how stupid they are because they watch the whole game Mm -hmm. and they know that he wins and he was due to win $1.2 million. Mm-hmm. They sent thugs out to go follow the girl who was she. That was the smart thing where she followed that guy up. Yep. I was like, all right, and then had him buy it out, cash yep. it out, so that they didn't suspect anything. And he just wanted to grab a drink with her after when he's handing right. her. Out. He's like, baby, let's go. She's like, bye. Yeah. So She's it's like winning. they had it cash in hand. Like she was ready to fly back, and mm-hmm. they get out of the little cage thing that they're in. And instead of like figuring out that this bitch is about to come back with $1.2 million that you can literally wait here and rob her of $1.2 million. Bill has had enough. He's, he is the teapot from the beginning of the movie when they got him that damn spring water that he didn't want. Yeah, I didn't fucking want spring water. Did I say the teapot was boiling, boiling. And then you stick them in a hot ass little box with three other guys, which every once in a while they go back to show them and you could see they were kind of talking under a breath 
up like saying something to each other, like whispering. You'd see Arno on the phone occasionally. Then they get out at right after Howard has his moment of triumph, celebration, everything. And it's just done. Quick. Like it's blink yeah. if you miss it quick. And they yeah. just shoot him Got in the face. Head. And then Arno is freaking out because he did not mm-hmm. want that to happen. Like this has gone too far. He never wanted to get to this point. Yes, he had sent these people after him. He had acted like this big bad, you know, guy this whole time. But he just starts to melt and fill and Nico, apparently Nico. Uh, well, that's the other thing. And then they're like, turn off the cameras. We got to rob them. I'm like, you could have just had $1.2 million, you moron. Now they're going to steal a bunch of fake shit that's right. worth a tenth of that, if that. Right. And then uh, Arno starts to fight back for a minute. And then Phil's like, you know what? Fuck you, too. And bullet in the head. He had warned yep. him. He did warn him. He said, you're going to end up like him if you don't fucking stop right now. And then Arno tries to get out. Again, curse of the door. The door doesn't work as he's trying. Like, yeah. it's just like, oh, what a nightmare. Like, I wonder if those guys got out of the door. Because what if they yeah, just. we don't know. They're just like stuck in with these two guys with holes in their head, heads and they can't get out the door. And like. Right. Because we do see Adina Menzel say that she's going to call the police. Exactly. So really, we're, you know, and this is a great decision by the Safties. You don't have to show it it's left out there and uh you don't have to like show phil and nico getting arrested and then going to jail and make this a three hour like they're idiots they're all idiots yeah they could have had it all it's just like the way that they use principles are so backwards their principles are ass backwards throughout it's just like because he locked you in here now you have the deal you have 1.2 million dollars and you just now you have nothing now you you know you know she's coming back because Mm -hmm. she's not even smart enough to realize that she has 1.2 million dollars in cash because she's so like head over heels in love with this goober. All right, so basically that's kind of how the movie ends is we just have two dead guys and kind of like an ambiguous ending. So I think I'm ready for my closing thoughts and ratings if you are. Yeah, I think that there's so much we can discuss with this movie. I mean, you you can have a podcast on some of these scenes alone. So I think we did a good job of kind of capturing your kind of first time experience with it and kind of my experience through my cultural lens as well. So I'm ready for the closing thoughts and ratings. All right, I will go first since this is a first time for me. I'm not going to say that I enjoyed the movie because it was definitely like stressful and anxiety but it was a very good movie and I think that's sometimes that's what makes the movie good is like your emotions are in it you're invested in what's going on with the characters and not everything needs to be like this happy-go-lucky story for you it's a good film I think Adam Sandler was exceptional and I cannot believe how he wasn't recognized more for what he did in this movie especially compared to some of the other roles we have seen him in I mean this man has done some pretty horrific work like he has done movies that are just not good he's number four that are not good yeah and like came out with this so i really appreciate what this movie offered and just yeah like the authenticity of the story being told i didn't feel like the dialogue was corny um i felt like these were things that people would really say this is how people would really react some of it was a little over the top but i also think that's like these are the people that you're portraying these are like they're not really good people they're not smart people and all they know is like just being loud and obnoxious until they get their way um mm-hmm. i think all of that was captured i'm gonna give this four stars because right. like i said it was super stressful and anxiety so like i'm gonna knock it one because i was just like not feeling great the whole time but other than that i thought it was a good movie and i think everybody did a great job acting and it's just nice to know like why the sixers kept losing to the celtics all those years ago so it was a shit jet it's all because i know glad black, i know now the black opal that was not black at all like it was <laughs> just a shiny turd shiny brownish turd that uh some guy from ethiopia broke his leg for two years later this is where it ended up like 
I'm thrilled with that score, first of all. Okay. You know, we're, we're always excited yet afraid of the weeks where we have a, a subject or a movie we love come up. And so that's a relief there for sure. Needless to say, I love this movie. This is one of my favorite A24 movies, which does put it in a very high echelon for me because my favorite A24 movies means it's one of my favorite movies. Uh, 2019 was a tremendous year, both for A24 and just overall. And this was in, you know, my top five movies. Revisiting this movie, I enjoy it more than ever. I just think that this is a timeless classic. I think that's funny to kind of think about with this, but I coined it earlier in the podcast. And I really do like the uh, description. It's a happily never after movie. He was never going to be happy. And if he won that 1.2 million, that was just going to lead to more bad decisions and more ability to do those bad decisions and ignore his family and ignore just why are you doing this? It's just such a tremendous movie. It's, it is very stressful, but I can find myself being able to watch it quite a bit that probably has to do with my viewing habits as a movie consumer in general. The authenticity of the dialogue is one of the highlights though for me. The subject matters and how they talk. Just overall, I really love this movie. I enjoyed Good Time from Benny and Josh Safdie, but I enjoy this way more. It is one of my favorite Adam Sandler performances and I love Adam Sandler. It's a damn near perfect movie. I'm going to give it a 4.5 out of 5. It's not a perfect movie. It's not my favorite A24 movie. That is still The Lobster, which was my first A24 movie. To me, maybe I'm comparing it a little bit too heavily to unrelated items. But yeah, 4.5 out of 5. I can watch this movie anytime. And I think it's one of the best movies of the last decade. I just think it's a great movie, with, which in the wrong hands would have been very hack and very obnoxious and not in the way they intended. But yeah, great movie, great discussion. Just very big fan of what the Safties are going to do next. That puts us at an average rating of 4.25, which... That's strong. I know. That's a, that is a strong performance, that's especially a, from us. Yeah. And uh, for a divisive movie, too. I mean, there are this movie it definitely has its fans, but also its detractors. Speaking of a movie that has, or a series of movies or a group of movies that has their fans and detractors, next week we're going to take a little bit of a turn here. We're going into the land of Medea, the land of other characters the browns i believe diary of a mad black woman we're in tyler perry movies next week so from a24 to tyler perry another very important movie studio in all seriousness tyler perry's become an empire i mean he, i think he has the biggest movie studio in the united states now which is awesome for in all seriousness for a black man to uh, have and to be pushing black stories so i do think it is actually what well, we kind of laugh about a subject worth viewing here and we are going to have a guest on that's he's one of the first people to respond to our form when we put it out and he went for this subject right away i've i decided after solo to not judge when people pick a random subject and think i know everything about it before watching it he requested tyler perry movie right away and it's vernon green he's known within the fan leagues he's a huge supporter of smaller creators in all honesty and he also does his own fcl fan podcast with sister chronic uh, nerd chronic sister nancy rodriguez so go ahead and check them out and we'll talk about that more next week but yeah he wanted to come on for tyler perry movies and he did give us three recommendations i actually didn't put any recommendations in myself because i don't know shit about tyler perry me neither so i'm happy to go yeah. with whatever he suggests and so he did give us three which you know we never like when they say whatever you want but if they give us like specific options i we love that just other guests in the future he did he went with the family that prays why did i get married and i can do bad all by myself do we want to know 
the synopsises or are we judging by title here? I'm no, I think we should just go title only. Okay. So I am going to go with I can do bad all by myself. That sounds fun. Sounds like a like breaking free of a shitty relationship and like being like, I'm a bad bitch. That's what I'm hoping for. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I want to watch a movie called Why Did I Get Married? I think Anthony would also appreciate that I did not watch a movie called Why Did I Get Married? <laughs> we so already did Kramer versus Kramer to try to break up your marriage. Yeah, so. we don't need to put any ideas in my head. So I will go with the family that prays. Okay, and now how do we decide this now? <laughs> like, do we? But see, here's my thing. I really enjoy, because you know what? I don't think I've ever seen the title written out. And I always thought it was the family that prays, as in like, they're very religious. Oh, it's, it's spelled P-R-E-Y. Yes, it's the family. Family that preys as in like they're predators. Fine. You talked me into it. That I love a good pun. That means that there's possibility for other puns in this, which means that there's a possibility for me to make puns on the podcast next week. So we're going with family that preys. Don't know anything about it. you want to look up and reveal. Dude, the top of- build cast right now is Kathy Bates and Alfred Woodard. So that's, that's all I need to know. I mean, that that's great. Is there some synopsis that you could provide us with? Or do you want to hold off on that till next week? Um, the synopsis is two families from different walks of life learn to work together. Oh, man. This is a culture clash movie. Fantastic. Maybe. Fantastic. I'm looking forward to this one. I have no idea what to expect. But that uh, kind of wraps up this turd gem episode here that, uh, you know, we're a black opal of a podcast. So if you made it this far, we appreciate it. But yeah, next week we have the Tyler Perry movie Family That Prays and our special guest Vernon Green will be joining us. Uh, but before we take off, Christina, is there anything you need to plug or mention that's coming up? Nope, guys. Just, you know, the singles tournament and the Schmodown is starting to go underway. So hopefully we all are rooting for the stars. I'm not telling you who it is unless it's been announced yet. So I don't believe all of the stars have been announced yet. So we'll keep that under wraps for a little bit longer. But I know you're supporting us. So you're saying there's a chance. Maybe there's me. I don't know. Maybe I'm in it. I don't know. Exactly. We don't know. But uh, yeah, same for me. I don't have anything going on. Still not in the Shimodown somehow. But yeah, for Aaron of Digesting Cinema, said it again there. Uh, For Christina of Digesting Cinema, keep Digesting Cinema out there and keep holding on to those uncut gems.